The Publix Radio presents Season 2 of the award-winning audio play, God Talks to an Agnostic, created and produced by the Wilbury Theatre Group in collaboration with AFRI Productions with support from Brown Arts Institute. God Talks to an Agnostic is a 12-part audio play written and directed by Don Mays. I grew up in a religious household. There are things I understand about religion, the need for it, its purpose, the necessity of it. <laughs> My father used to tell the joke about the old country boy who went to the doctor because he was having personal troubles. Things weren't working out for him in the bedroom. The doc examined him. The old country boy left the doctor's office, went straight home and put on his finest suit, strutting around the house in this suit. His wife asked him, what was going on? What are you doing all dressed up? Old country boy said, the doctor says I's impotent. And if I's gonna be impotent, I's gonna dress impotent. A thing I've learned, grown to understand when it comes to religion, I understand the importance and the impotence. Generation after generation of Africans in America were enslaved. Stripped of their own culture, they were taught Western religion. Once learned, accepted, or indoctrinated, they clung to it faithfully, religiously, if you will. Because of religion, they, the generations of enslaved Africans, had hope, hope for an end to slavery, hope that their children or their children's children would one day know freedom, hope for freedom in the afterlife. Religion gave them hope. But hope, hope was all they had. Religion gave them hope. It, religion, was necessary. It was important. But for some, hope was not enough. Hope could not unburden them of the brutality, the demoralization, the birth-to-death inhumanity of everyday life being enslaved. For those who could not bear it, hope, even the hope religion offered, promised in the afterlife, was not enough. So they ran. For those whom hope was not enough, Escape was the only option. They knew they could be caught, chased by dogs, maimed or killed even. They knew the consequences of being caught, but still, they ran. They ran. It seems that the rain, when it rains here in the rainforest, it just starts in full force all the time, full force. Not like at home. At home, the rain moves in, starting with a drizzle and gradually grows into a downpour. Here, it's like whoosh, downpour. Walking from the village center to the temple, La Curandera and I didn't speak really. I thought after the handshake we'd had a breakthrough, but I mean, it wasn't tense like the first day, but she didn't, eh. well, I guess I could have initiated the conversation, but that 
didn't feel right either. Ancestor, I am here. Yes, I am here. We immediately jumped into our conversation with the Ancestor, not necessarily picking up where we had left off, but, but the energy was the same. My initial thought was that today, I want to listen more, talk less. But the conversation was such that they pulled me in, welcomed my engagement, wanted to hear what I had to say, and at the same time challenged me to, to see more clearly what they had to say. I'm sure we'd been there for hours, talking, laughing. We laughed a lot more as we spent time together. I loved the elders' moments of reflection. And I grew to appreciate La Curandera's intensity. We were connecting, seeing each other with a richer clarity. I started to feel a closeness, a familiarity. And then, then we came to a conversation about colonization, a topic I thought surely we'd be on the same side. He asks, for what reason would we change our way of life? Ancestor, you have seen that we have lived this way generation after generation. Yes, having lived as you have for so many generations is a curiosity to others. Yes, it may be a curiosity, but I would never suggest, I mean, if you ask me, I would never, I mean, if you ask me, things should never change here. We live in harmony with the natural world. Ancestor, will you have us change? You know that is not my place. Nor is it anyone else's. I agree. No one should be allowed to force change on you. He's saying, people who have come to our village, here in the rainforest, think the life we live is simple, unsophisticated. By others' definition of life, Yours to them is simple. Yes, Ancestor, but in truth, it is more a lack of understanding of our lives than a definition. It is disrespectful. What you speak is true. Such disrespect is dangerous to all of life. They themselves are endangered by that way of thinking, their own way of thinking. I don't want to be disrespectful. I love the simplicity of life here. I mean, what I'm saying is that Compared to, like, life in the city, life here is, it's beautifully simple. I love it. Hmm. Love the simplicity, you say? Yes, Ancestor. That is their justification. Such justification is meant as a compliment. I'm not justifying. I'm, I'm not trying to just... Maybe that is not your intent. But can you understand how what you are saying is, to use your word, reductive? They do not understand the life we live here. Do not respect it. They have tried to change us. It has happened to tribes like ours throughout the rainforest and all around the world. Yes, all the places that have been, been infected with colonization is one of man's greatest, greatest misdeeds. Our tribe, we are strong people, able to repel such intrusion. And here it is. I thought we were completely together on this conversation, but, but what she said next really threw me for a loop. When she said... You are not the first white man to come to our village. I'm sure Jesus has told you. White man? Wait, what? Yes, others like you have come with dubious intentions, bringing ideas 
which they mask in words that sound like help, but their actual intentions. No, but but I'm not white. I'm not a white man. What? Yes, no, you are. No, no, I'm not white. What are you saying? Uh, uh, you called me white. I'm not white. Clearly, I'm not white. Yes, clearly you are. No, no, I'm not. Look at my skin. I'm. I, how could you? How could you say I'm white? Look at my skin. Your skin? What of your skin? Yes, my. What does your skin have to do it, with this? If if I was white, my skin would not look like this. My skin would not be this dark. I'm Listen, not... your skin is your skin. I do not understand. America, yes. Yes. That yes. is where you come from. Yes. Yes, I'm from America, but America. That is white. Not, well, not all Americans are white. From European, from British, mm -hmm. from Spanish, Portugal. And Africa. No, 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 no. What? Not Africa. No. European bring white men to Africa. Same as they have here in the rainforest and to our tribe. We went back and forth on this for, well, far longer than was necessary or productive. But I admit, it was mostly me defending my non-whiteness. It feeds on the now. Today, leaving nothing for tomorrow. For tomorrow's people. Their bellies bursting full, consuming all they can hold. Sometimes more than they can hold. With no thought, no serious thought of generations to come. They allowed themselves to measure the wealth of the few by the suffering of the many. Why should so many people suffer when there is such proclaimed abundance? Wealth, as I understand it, and suffering as I as I far too clearly see it, amplifies the disconnect. It puzzles me that life can be of less value than what is perceived as wealth. Like I said, this went on for a while before it hit me. For the first time in my life, I'm not being defined by the color of my skin. I realized I had been arguing, defending something that I had never believed in, race. And she, she not only rejects, totally rejects my argument, she's incredulous, dumbfounded that I could even offer such a ridiculous... I know race is not real, not a thing. And she, they, very clearly understand Western culture which is what they were describing, which I must admit, cannot deny, I am a part of. People who look like me are a part of Western culture. I don't, or people who look like me don't necessarily reap the benefits of it, but we are a part of it, undeniably a part of it, Western culture, which she, they, accurately defined by the greed, immediate gratification and egocentricism. But, but here's the thing, to finally, finally not have the color of my skin be the determining factor of who I am, do they have to label it white? Like I said, we were there for six days. It rained every day. And every night I'd go back to the tent, soaking wet, mind swirling. Every conversation was so, so... How did they know so much? I mean, I contributed to the conversation. I think I made valuable points. And I tried to tell Baxter, but, but it was just so much. And I was always completely spent. Exhilarated, 
but seriously drained. I knew I would need to process it all. There was a lot to process, a lot. A few mornings when I woke, Baxter was already up and out, mostly the days when the rain started later in the day, late morning. She took advantage of the time to talk to the curandera. Curandera, curandera. Even the name sounds magical, lyrical. When we first met her, I was immediately drawn to her hands. As she talked to us all the while, her hands continued to work. I, I was mesmerized. They moved with such intuition, her hands, such wisdom. Where she saw gnarled and scarred, I saw strength and power. I saw experience and wisdom, calm and, and confidence. Confidence, I had to... May I touch your hands? Yes, the hands tell a story. Her hands and mine, the only time they were not working, but in a sense they were. As I caressed those hands, she caressed mine. I searched. What I thought I was searching for was her knowledge, her experience, and she, she was searching for my soul. Which, through our touch, we discovered we were searching for the same thing in each other. I only got to speak to the curandera two more times. Each time, we held hands the entire time. We talked about everything. Spirituality. Yes, I could feel something. I felt it, but I had no idea what it was. Yes, yes, I know, right? The other kids thought I was so weird. Weird? Different. Uh, didn't fit in. Oh, yes. No, no, no. No one understood it. We had girl talk, talked about our bodies. You are so long and lean. How lovely. You can stretch and touch the sky. It is so lovely. Yeah, but you got them curves working, girl. You got that nice little boom boom going on back there. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about love and loss in, a, in our last conversation. We were talking, holding hands like we always had. We were talking about, it was dusk, that reddish glow at the horizon. We were talking about how nice it was to connect. I have appreciated our talks. The time that we've had together, you don't know how much it means to me. I too appreciate our time. Thank you. Here, in our tribe, I am here for everyone. The work I do, my responsibilities, connect me to every member of our tribe. But it also separates me. I guess that can get kind of lonely. Yes, I guess it is what you call loneliness. But it is not a burden. My time with you, it has been nourishing. Food for the soul. You've been my soul food too. <laughs> <laughs> then she stopped. The moment was kind of light. We were having a little laugh, and then she just stopped, got quiet, closed her eyes. You okay? Is everything... Shh. We sat there, holding hands, both my hands and hers. She opened her eyes, looked deep into my eyes. You must face it. I was frozen. I couldn't move. The thing that you have not spoken of, it is the thing that troubles you the most. 
I burst into tears. I do not need to know what it is. I simply know it is there. You must face it, but you do not need to face it alone. She held me as I wept. That night, our last night in the village, listening to the rain hitting the tent, I don't know why, I mean, I kept hearing her voice, the voice of the curandera, but she wasn't urging me to go out in the rain. But something was, some kind of force. Standing in the rain, I'm sure I'm crying, but maybe it's the rain. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't get a sound to come out. I closed my eyes, lifted my face to the sky. I may have whispered his name, but I'm not sure. But I could see his face, smiling that little twist to the left. Mace. Eyes closed. In my head, I see the shooting star. Then a drop of rain. I mean, it's raining, and I'm feeling that all over my body, but this drop of rain. Big drop. This big drop of rain hits just under my left eye, and I hear... Hello. I crawled into the tent, soaking wet. My mind is spinning. I'm trying to process it, but my mind, my brain is going like a hundred miles an hour. My body is all tingly. I got undressed and tried to crawl into the sleeping bag without disturbing- Oh, whoa, whoa. what is it? What, what's, what's up? Hey, hey, what's going on? Sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. No, it's fine, it's fine. I... What's what's wrong? What's going on? Nothing's wrong. You're soaking wet. Were you, were you outside again? Robin, what I'm were you... I'm fine. Yes, I was outside, and I'm fine. I was outside in the rain. Okay, okay, okay. So so what's going on? Your, your body, it feels like... Do you have a fever? He held me tight. Then he got quiet. He looked at me. I knew he could feel it. We just lay there looking in each other's eyes. I could see he was searching, searching in my eyes. Did you? It was just like you described it. Hola, buenos dias. You up in there? We must go, we have a long journey ahead. Yes, uh, we're packing up, we'll be ready soon. I did it, I talked to her. What? Talk to who? The ancestor. Last night in the rain, the ancestor, she spoke to me. <laughs> you you talked to her? The ancestor. Is this true? Yes, it's true. She spoke to you? Yes. Last night. Uh, where's Curandera? I have to tell her. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. She's gone. Gone? Gone where? Well, you said your goodbyes yesterday, yes? We did, but... <sighs> I'm sorry. Well, when is she coming back? I cannot say, but we cannot wait. We have to go. We have stayed longer than I expected. I have to get back to my family. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. You will come back another time? Yes, yes. You really spoke to her, the ancestor. You spoke to her. I did. 
The day we left the rainforest, it didn't really rain, just a, a burst of a shower here and there, but Baxter had only just heard the voice of the ancestor last night. We processed differently. She talked about all the, the feelings and emotions she experienced. I just asked a lot of questions and she had these kind of emotion-filled descriptions. Having stayed four days longer than expected, I'd been feeling a little bad for Baxter. I mean, she's a trooper, didn't complain once. Because she is who she is, moves through the world the way she does, she found a way to make it a meaningful experience. No, no, not found a way. It is her way that there's meaning and purpose in all that she does. It's how I knew she would be the first. Of the circle of people in my life, she, Baxter, would be the first and maybe the only to hear the voice of the ancestor. As we walked, Baxter and Jesus' conversation, their voices seemed far away. Although they were only a few steps ahead of me, their voices were so distant. The sound of the rainforest was more prominent than their voices, but, but it too was sort of muted, distorted. And then, then I could feel, while we walked, I could feel a resonance in my body. At first, I thought I may be getting sick. Although we had taken all the precautions needed for travel, I was prepared for either or both of us to get sick. And at this point, neither of us had. But this feeling I was having, I almost immediately knew it was not from being sick. Something was resonating in my body, my mind, this, this warm, soft resonance all through my body. Something was different. I am different. I didn't fight it or try to infuse some logical explanation as the old me would have. I, I just allowed it. Through this resonating thing I was experiencing, I began to rerun all the temple conversations over and over in my head, their voices, what they said, how they said it, what the ancestor said, how she responded to the elder compared to how she responded to me, or even La Curandera. <laughs> La Curandera. I was finally able to connect with her. At least, I think we connected. We reached the edge of the rainforest. The, the peaceful sounds of the forest were immediately drowned out by the sounds of the little village. People, cars, mostly motor scooters, I guess, and the, the boats on the river. This took me out of my head and back to, I guess, reality. But even as small as this simple, as small as this town is, I could tell my return to my life, life, life as I knew it, well, it wouldn't be life as I knew it. Addie met us at the airport. Hey, baby brother! Hey, Addie! Robin! Hey, Addie! Thanks for picking us up. How 
was it? It, it was, was great, amazing. Really great. Must have been supposed to be there five days and it's almost been two weeks. Uh, we would have let you know, but this place was so remote, there was zero cell service. I see you used that time to get a little extra <laughs> chocolateness. Hey, the black of the berry. I know, that's right. <laughs> come on, get in. I want to hear all about it. Okay. Shoddy. Yeah, come up here. I know you'll give me details this one wouldn't. I know, right? You wouldn't believe what our guide's name was. You'll love this. Jesus. <gasps> Jesus! <laughs> The Lord moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> hello. When you say that hello like you do, it always reminds me of the first time you said it. A moment in time. Simple, yet profound. Yes. What does one do with such a moment? Hold on to it. Old. Hmm. Seems a bit inactive. Restrictive, if you will. Yeah, you're right. So there must be more. More? What more? You tell me. I don't know. What brought you here? I needed to know that there was someone else, others, who could... Hmm. That seems like more. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, what else? Uh, the Elder. He felt Hiroshima, Nagasaki. I do not understand. He said when he got really sick as a kid, we did the math. What he must have felt was when, when we dropped bombs on Japan, killing hundreds of thousands of people in an instant. Yes. To inflict that kind of pain, it cannot be contained. The harm, the pain, is felt everywhere, experienced by all. Some, like the Elder, recognize and are sickened by it. Others are sickened, but do not recognize. But all, all experience the pain. The Elder, his recognition of this pain, is that from his connection with you? He understands his connection to all living things. Will I? Am I going to have such a connection? The answer to your question is a truth held within you. But this you already know, but have yet to accept. God Talks to an Agnostic is written and directed by Don Mays with music and sound design by Andy Russ, music contributions by The Culmination Group with Edgar Diaz and Ashley Frith, and production management by Natalie Rosario, Melly Hayes, and Allison Marchetti. The show features performances by Don Mays, Rose Weaver, Jackie Davis, Rudy Rue Cabrera, Pamela Lambert, Deraja Hines, Jason Quinn, Jeff Hodge, Tanya Montenegro, Scylla Bento, Mindy Brito, Lorraine Guerra, Leah Pento, Brian Lang, Susie Santana, Len Cabral, and Gunnar Manchester. God Talks to an Agnostic is produced by the Wilbury Theatre Group in collaboration with AFRI Productions, 
with support from Brown Arts Institute and presented by The Publix Radio. All episodes of God Talks to an Agnostic were recorded at the Granoff Center for the Arts at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. View the complete list of available episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about the show or to learn more about how you can support our work, visit us online at thewilburygroup.org. When she said this to me, a rush of thoughts flooded my brain. At the time, I couldn't put words to, couldn't put into words, but I thought about it, been thinking about it. <sighs> a white man buys a military-style assault rifle, targets a black neighborhood, walks into a grocery store and kills 10 black people. That was his intention. Another white man buys a high-powered rifle, climbs on a roof, and on the day America is celebrating itself, fires into a crowd and kills nine people, injures dozens more. Another white man walks into a church, prays with a group of faith people who showed him love, and he kills them. All of them. No one asks the question, the shooters, why didn't they run? Why didn't they run? Why were they not afraid? Why were they confident enough that, so comfortable in their skin that, that, that they did not feel the urge, the need to run? After committing these heinous crimes, why didn't they run? Or how is it that they survived the, the police pursuit and capture? But a black man in a mere traffic stop, a black man whose infraction pales in comparison, if there was an infraction at all, why is he compelled to run? He runs. He runs. He knows he will not be taken to get a burger. He runs. He is not given a tissue. He runs. He is not cuffed and taken into custody to stand trial at a later date. He runs. And when he runs, 90, 90, rounds are fired. He runs. Sixty. Sixty bullets enter, mangle, destroy, rip the life out of his body. Yes, ancestor, I am troubled. I, I don't claim any special connection like that of the elder, but I feel, I feel 60 bullets. I feel that pain.